Godzilla made a beat, so it's go time. Hey guys, welcome back to another edition of the Core Ford Podcast. We are a podcast on the GBB Podcast Network alongside GBB Live, 3ND, and Starting 5. Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. You can find us on the web at SBN Grizzlies or on grizzlybearblues.com. I'm your host, Nathan Chester, and I'm joined today by former Rhodes football player, current staff writer for Grizzly Bear Blues and aficionado of all things Marvel TV shows and movies, Bryce Hayes. <laughs> What's going on, my man? Nothing much, man. First off, Roll Links, appreciate the shout out to my alma mater. And I'm blessed, man, you know, had a roof over my head and heat, running water and everything during the snowstorms. So I can't complain. How are you, man? Man, I can't complain too much either. I still live with my parents at the moment, the year after I graduated from college. So I got out in the snow just one time, but I was locked up most of the time as well. Um, it was good. Like I got to do some work from home, which I found out firsthand that I'm not built to work from home. <laughs> so it essentially amounted to a week off for me in a lot of different ways from both school and work, but it was good. It was good to get some rest in that way. But like you and I, like most people, were locked inside most of the time this past week, but the Memphis Grizzlies were not. They were playing. In fact, they played, I believe it's five games in seven days to this yeah. point. And there's a lot to unpack that's been going on. There's been a lot of discussion, a lot of hot takes being thrown around on Twitter. But here's the first thing I want us to talk about. I've seen some like influential members of Memphis media even talking about this and saying that the Grizzlies are not doing everything they possibly can to win right now, which is really interesting to me because right now they're sitting at 13 and 15, which all things considered, the injuries and other things, I, I would take that seven days out of the week easily. Right. Um, but I also seem to remember us all agreeing that going all in to win this season was not the point. We were even making fun of the Atlanta Hawks for cashing all their chips in, so to speak, to put the best team possible around Trey Young. They could this year, really at the expense of the long-term health of their franchise, and they still aren't very good. So I kind of thought we were all on board that having the long-term approach was the better plan while still trying to win as much as you can in the present. And right. I think the Grizzlies have done a good job of that. What do you think about that? Speaking of the Hawks, like, even though the Grizzlies were parked for almost two weeks, the Grizzlies have the same amount of wins as the team that went all in. So this aura that, that like, the sky is falling because the Grizzlies have lost a little bit, I don't understand it. Like, granted, like you, like you said, I play college football. Like I'm used to it. I got a competitive spirit. Like I want to see them win as much as possible. But this idea that they're not trying to win hasn't really made sense to me. Like, are there some things I disagree with? Sure, but I don't think that they're just actively trying to handicap this team. As far as like the team goes, I think. Part of the reason we're getting this response to them losing is the long winning streak they went on. People got complacent thinking that they're going to be a better team than what they are. Do I still think they're a good team? Sure. 
Do I think they outplayed their talent at times? Granted, with all the injuries and rare times they have to play all these back-to-back shit together. Yeah. And some things worked in our way, some things haven't. And that's the ups and downs of an NBA season. So this whole sky is falling approach, I'm not going to buy into that. Y'all know how I am. I'm the moral compass of Twitter. Like, I'm not going to panic about anything. Stuff happens. That's how a season goes. You're going to win some, you're going to lose some. Should they be losing by 20-plus night in, night out? No, I don't think so. Especially last night with Dallas. I don't think Dallas is 20 points better than this. I don't think Phoenix, even with all those guys out, are 30 points better than the Memphis Grizzlies. But, you know, some people look at things differently. I choose to see that they're just a team going through a rough patch of a long season after having a very good stretch of the season where they were winning games they probably shouldn't, given all the circumstances with injuries and COVID and everything. But, you know, that's part of it. Yeah, and like I like how you called yourself the moral compass of Twitter, Mac. I think you're a better man than most of us are. Like, no matter what happens, you just stay totally based. You just say stay totally level through it all. People are panicking. People are throwing their hot takes out, and you did. You're just sitting there enjoying things. You're just minding your business. I think I've got a unique approach because you know, like I didn't play on a bunch of winning teams toward the end of my career, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't win a lot. Like, in college, I had two winning seasons and two that weren't. In high school, I had one winning season under Joe Mullinax <laughs> and, three that, and three that weren't. So I'm used to seeing how stuff can go, and I'm not panicking. Like, this doesn't seem like they're a bad team. They're just losing. Yeah. Teams lose. You don't win every game. Like, our fan base is mostly composed of Memphis fans, Tennessee fans, Ole Miss fans. None of these teams win every game. So I don't see where this expectation is coming from for the Memphis Grizzlies to win every game. And if they don't, the sky is falling. Yeah, and I think here's the way I've come to think about it. So if you're anything like me, whenever you go to Subway, you may occasionally ask for double meat because, you know, you're hungry. And adding more meat right. to the sandwich is going to make it better. It's going to taste better. But an NBA team is not a sub sandwich where the more meat you put on it, it just automatically becomes better. There are levels to this. And I agree with what you're saying about how the seven game winning streak inflated people's expectations. And I was warning against this the entire time because they, when they won those seven games in a row, and I think they were sitting at nine and seven and they were in the top eight teams in the West, people were saying, just wait until Justice Winslow gets back. Just wait until Jaron gets back and think about how much better this team is going to get. But adding Justice Winslow back to the lineup like we've seen the last two games, even though he is very rusty, let's say it's peak version of Justice Winslow It's playing right now. He would not just exponentially make the Grizzlies better. Adding Jaron Jackson Jr. back to the lineup would not just exponentially make the team better. They will lose. They will have a losing streak at some point this year with both Justice Winslow and Jaron Jackson Jr. back in the lineup. And those same people are going to be wondering what in the world is happening. They won seven games in a row without them. And NBA season is full of highs and lows. That's how it goes. Even if you're a good team, you're going to go through rough stretches. You're going to go through rough patches. And how you respond to those rough patches says a lot about who you are as a team. And we've already seen the Grizzlies respond well in adversity when they were sitting at two and seven earlier this year. And everybody was saying, bring on Jalen Green, bring on Cade Cunningham. The Grizzlies and John Morant had other plans with that. But speaking of Justice Winslow, 
I want to I want to gauge your reactions on this. I'm going to go ahead and say what I think. I'm not worried at all. Like I'm really just not. Like if you do, if you were an athlete growing up, and even if you never dealt with a serious long-term injury, I can only imagine how bad I would be if I got thrown back into high school basketball without having played a game in like 400 days. Yeah. <laughs> um, What's your level of concern on a level of one to ten about Justice Winslow so far? Two, maybe. Like, I mean, he hadn't played basketball in 400 days. Like, we've been in a pandemic. How long? Like, it's almost the same amount of time. If I played basketball right now, I could not probably make it up and down the floor three times. And the fact that he could – like, he was playing good defense. Like, he's yeah. in shape. Legs will come, like – I'm not concerned. Like, as long as he doesn't get hurt and he seems to be having fun on the court, that's an A to, that's an a to me. Like, after that long of an injury, like, long of a sit-down, off that type of injury where you pretty much have to relearn how to run to come back in shape and active on defense, the offense will come. And it's not like he was just filling up 20, 20 points a night scored to begin with like he's 12 points a couple rebounds a couple assists that's justice Winslow if you thought we were getting somebody that's gonna just fill it up from the wing that's not what justice Winslow is he's somebody that's gonna make some threes here and there a decent score and he's gonna play good defense that's what justice Winslow is if you've got one part of it the scoring will come I'm not worried about it he's in the NBA for a reason he hadn't played basketball for him today none of us play good basketball after a 400 day absence yeah. So it'll come. Yeah. And here's kind of my middle ground view of it. And far be it for me to be the middle ground voice of rationality here. But um, I was never of the opinion, even going all the way back to when he was supposed to be fully healthy going into the bubble. I never thought Justice Winslow was going to be someone necessarily that he was when he was playing point guard most of the time in his best season in Miami. I didn't think he was going to come in and shoot 40% on catch and shoot threes because I think we've seen from both college and throughout the course of his NBA career, I think I've seen enough to say that that kind of shooting from him was an outlier. Like, I don't expect him to shoot the ball at that high of a clip over the course of his NBA career. Uh, I expected him to come here and be a four-position defender, which we've already seen him do over the last two games, and to be an effective playmaker who will take pressure off John Moran. Um, I'm going to be writing about this pretty soon. One way I can envision the Grizzlies using Justice Winslow is almost in a Draymond Green-like role as a screener because um, we've seen it in the last couple of games. We've been seeing it all season, really, about how teams are blitzing John Morant. They're bringing in a, mm -hmm. a defender to get the ball out of his hands. So if you bring ja, or Justice Winslow as the screener and his man gets brought over to blitz Ja, you do not want uh, Justice Winslow to be able to receive the ball from John Morant in space. He's too physical and athletic of a ball handler for that to happen consistently. And this applies to Jaron as well. If Jaron gets used as the screener, do you really want to trap John Morant so Jaron can have open threes from the top of the key right. possession? So they're going to present more and more counters to help out John Morant. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. But Winslow could still be everything that the Grizzlies would hope for him to be for them. Would it be nice for the shooting to come along? Yes, but I can't really understand being that concerned after watching him the last two games when he is playing good defense, when he has looked pretty comfortable with the ball in his hands. The shots that he's missed, I think you mentioned he's like airmailed five layups at a two-game yeah. span on Twitter. Um, 
he, John Morant drove, split two defenders, kicked it out for an open three in the corner for him, and he missed the basket by like three feet to the right. Um, that's not normal. <laughs> it, it doesn't yeah. mean there's something wrong with him or that he all of a sudden became a horrible basketball player. NBA players generally don't miss shots like that to that type of degree, and it puts into perspective he's extremely rusty. He's not ready to be an impactful NBA player at the moment, but he will get there very soon. Not only rusty, but he's probably anxious. He hadn't played basketball for 100 days. Mm -hmm. So he's got to calm down and just get back to playing basketball. It'll come. And something that's getting overlooked, like these guys have to build chemistry. Like practice is fine, but playing NBA basketball at full speed, you're going to have to learn how to play with guys. And that's not going to happen in two games. I don't know how many minutes he's played, but that's not going to happen in that small of a time span. And like you were talking about with Winslow as a defender, those type of defenders are what made the Grizzlies so good during that win streak. And that's what I wrote about with them doing the little things right. Like they made the extra pass to find an open player. They were able to switch on defense and just make teams' lives live in hell. They're not doing that right now, so they're losing. So mm -hmm. hopefully – with a new guy that can do all those things that made them good, they can get back to doing that and go back to winning basketball games. Yeah, for sure. And so we're on the topic of Justice Winslow's return. And I mentioned about when Jaron Jackson comes back into the lineup. And I think part of the reason we saw so much angst from Grizz Twitter and Grizz fans in general over the last two games is kind of so let's just say like when you were a kid and you wanted a video game and your parents told you you're going to have to wait all the way to Christmas before you can play it. And then once you waited until Christmas, you were patient, you were faithful and everything. And then once you finally get it, you played it and it wasn't good at all. And that would make you feel angst. You'd be upset about that. I think Winslow not looking particularly good offensively in his first two games um, kind of adds a little more fuel to the fire. The, like, this is the guy we've been waiting on to help make things right. He doesn't look good. What's up with that? Even if it should have been expected. So a concern that I have is that when Jaron Jackson, who's the second key cornerstone of the franchise with John Morant, when he comes back into the lineup, I'm worried about what people's response will be when he inevitably struggles probably for his first few weeks trying to get back into the swing of things. And there's also the angst of people wondering why in the world is he taking so long when Chris Tapps Porzingis, who is a really bad example for multiple reasons, which we can talk about in a second, um, it took him three months to come back from a very similar injury when it's been over six for Jaron. You said to yourself that you suffered a similar injury to Jaron. So I'm going to give you the floor to hear like your prognosis and what we can expect from him coming back. Okay. So Jaron. Okay. The Christoph Porzingis, I'm going to start with Porzingis since you used the example. That's another reason why I'm not mad at the approach because Christoph Porzingis hasn't looked like himself the entire time he's been back. Like it's, it's bad. He moves bad. He can't cut as well. He can barely jump. Porzingis looks like a bad basketball player compared to what he was. He's a shell of himself because he rushed back. Now, back to me in comparison to how they're taking Jared. Like, going into my freshman year at Rose, like, I tore my meniscus squatting. I was squatting 450 and something happened and tore my meniscus and sprained my MCL. It doesn't take long to recover from that to feel so small of a tear. But our trainers, they were extra cautious with it because I was a freshman. It's not like I had to be on the field. 
I was like, they cleared me, but I stayed out an extra two weeks because I had a history of knee issues. So they gave me extra therapy, extra things to do. So I wouldn't have long-term knee issues. So for another two weeks, I trained and did all the therapy and everything. I haven't had a knee issue since. Like, you can't tell I told them meniscus or anything. So I think that's kind of what they're trying to do with Jaren. Since he has a rap sheet with injuries, like, they're just being extra cautious because they love Jaren. Like, they want Jaren to be here for a long time. So instead of rushing him back and he's shelling himself, costing himself money, it just doesn't look good. And, they're, and the fact that the team won't look good and they're going to start losing games because he's going to get shot. Like, he's going to be our second leading shot taker at the job. Just, just wait. Like they're winning basketball games without him anyway. Like there's, there's no point rushing, rushing him back, where you can just win anyway. Win, win without him. Let these other guys that's going to be around him get better, like Kyle Anderson, who's become a knockdown three-point shooter all of a sudden. And when you get him, you take the kid gloves off, like they're somewhat doing with Justice Winslow. But I think they'll be fine. Jaren, people like Jaren, so I don't think he'll get the same criticism as Justice Winslow. You got to remember, Justice Winslow came off the back of Andre Iguodala, <laughs> and Chandler Parsons just happened. So people are going to examine him a little bit harder. Jaren Jackson, we love Jaren Jackson. He's a fan favorite. We've seen what he can do. So the criticism will be a little bit lighter than what Justice Winslow got, in my opinion. Right. And I was trying to comfort people by saying, look, Winslow doesn't look good. He's airballing shots. But, hey, remember, Chandler Parsons went 0 for 7 and this dispute, and we all know how that turned out. So, <clears throat> such a positive example to follow for sure. But I agree with you. I think Jaron's going to come back. And it may take him a little bit of time to get acclimated to himself. But once he starts to look like himself, um, I don't have huge expectations for growth from him this year. I would just like to see him be pretty close to what he was last year. He didn't really have an offseason to work on his game in any way. And if he comes back and just continues to show baby steps of improvement and growth while being the same player that the Grizzlies fans have come to know and love, then that will be a huge plus for the Grizzlies. But going forward, not just this year, but also going into the future. But you talked about guys stepping up when Jaron has been out of the lineup. And you mentioned Kyle Anderson. I want to talk about the most polarizing Grizzlies wing players since Rudy Gay for a second. My Bill God. Dylan Brooks, who has just been a subject of divisiveness for the last two years now as to what he is for the Grizzlies, whether he's in the right role or what role he should play going forward into the future. And far be it for me, I'm not saying the Grizzlies would have beaten Phoenix, especially with how shorthanded they were, or even beaten Dallas two nights ago with Dylan Brooks in the lineup. But it was very clear to me that they were missing him. And we've talked a lot about on Twitter that you can throw all the uh, scatter plots, you know, all the math charts that you, these nerds want to throw at us. And yes, Dylan Brooks does is not a great analytic player by any stretch of the imagination, but there's more to basketball and sports in general than a spreadsheet. There just is. And while Dylan Brooks may struggle in certain areas of the game, he may even hurt the team in some areas of the game at times. We've seen how much John Morant is missing a willing volume shot taker who also picks up the other team's best perimeter player on more nights than not. We saw how the Grizzlies were missing that the last two games. Yeah, and like scatter plots and all that. Look, I've 
done my time in school, I'm not trying to look at a scatter plot. And people will point out that Dylan is this, that, and the other when it comes to his defense and he's going to have this lockdown defender. I don't think anyone's ever said he's a lockdown defender, but he's capable. Like, guys will probably still get their 20 points, but you're going to work for those 20 points. And Dylan Brooks isn't a star player. Like, we, we've come to terms with that, and I think Dylan knows that, even though mentally he's going to get his shots up. That's what he did at Oregon. That's what he's done all his life. His, that's what he does. The fact is, you need guys on your team like that. Dylan Brooks brings energy. There's a certain aura around him when he's on the floor. And sometimes you just need that on the floor. Is he going to make every – yeah, you can't replace it. And mm-hmm. you can tell from those – these last three games, even though people bring up, oh, they won without him against Detroit. Detroit has the worst record in the league. So who – that really yeah. the leverage we want to use here. But – yeah, like Dylan Brooks isn't just going to pop up off the box score unless he takes 20 shots and misses a ton of them and Griffin's fans kill him. The fact is there is a role for him, and he started to somewhat fill into the role he's supposed to be during Grayson Allen's hot streak. He didn't have to take that many shots when Grayson Allen was making his shots, when Kyle Anderson is making his shots, when Ja can get to the rim at will, when Jonas Valanciunas is a walking double-double. Dylan Brooks can just kind of take his open threes, and if he – Make some, you make some. He misses them. Okay, I mean, it happens. You're not going to make every shot. I think people, for some reason, expect him to. I don't know why. And we kill him because he misses shots. He misses shots a part of the game. Like, he's not taking a ton of bad shots, especially this year. He just misses them. Stuff happens. And I don't know why people hate folks considering our history with inefficient players and our general love for him in Memphis, but I think there's a role for Dylan Brooks that we're closer and closer to getting, and Dylan Brooks is vital to this team long-term because of what he brings that you can't calculate or put on a scatterplot. Yeah, and I think part of Grizz fans' frustration is that Dylan represents something that the Grizzlies need, but they don't have in totality right now. And what I mean by that is Dylan Brooks almost seems like a placeholder for a better player that's to come after him. And Grizz fans want that player to be here right now. They want Bradley Be- uh, Bradley Beal. They want Zach Levine. Uh, spoiler alert, neither of those two players are ever going to be members of the Memphis Grizzlies. I can tell you that right now. I'll go on the that's record. Why I don't talk about it. That's yeah. why I don't talk about it. It's not yeah. worth my time. Yeah, yeah, I will go on the record right now and say that's not ever going to happen. They may get a star wing, get it through the draft, or maybe they can find a way to pull their assets together to target a star wing who may become available. That's going to be tough to do when you've got the New Orleans Pelicans and the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder, who are essentially the Jeff Bezos of the NBA as far as assets are concerned at the moment. Uh, They can get whoever they want with all of that. But Dylan Brooks is an effective and impactful player for the Grizzlies. And that impact may not always show up on the spreadsheet like the nerds like to say it, but Bryce, you and I, we got eyeballs, as our friend Parker Fleming and my other co-host of the show likes to say, we got eyeballs. And you see how Dylan Brooks' tenacity, his aggressiveness, how his mentality affects the players who are around him. And I think you're also going to see his shooting split start to progress towards the bean. Once Jaron gets back into the lineup and the Grizzlies start to fall back into their proper tiers and proper roles, he had a 
month and a half stretch last year, but we were ready to call him a rising star. He shot yeah. from, I think it was from January to mid-February, up until he signed the extension. That was the demarcation point where his game's right. slipping off. But he had a month and a half stretch where he was averaging 20 on like 47, 45, and 85 shooting splits. He was phenomenal, and he was amazing. And I don't know if he'll quite get to that level at some point this year, but he's going to have a hot streak that will remind people what he can provide on a nightly basis as far as offense is concerned. So I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about his shooting. Um, there do seem to be some level of concern about the shooting of the Grizzlies in general at the moment. Um, I don't think this bodes well statistically. Again, we're not math people here. We, we, we may occasionally look at the scatter plot, but you can correct me if the math is wrong here. In their last four games, the Grizzlies have allowed their opponent to shoot 50% or better from three two different times, which I have not gone back and done research, but I would imagine that doesn't happen very often over a four-game span. Uh -huh course of NBA history and also the Grizzlies have shot worse than 20 percent from three in both of their last two games when you put those um, two factors together there ends up being kind of a disparity on the scoreboard as we've come to see here a little bit but the Grizzlies have some good three-point shooters they have Desmond Bain they have Kyle Anderson who's come into his own like fully unlocked himself as a spot-up sniper like you talked about um, you have guys who are willing shot takers from beyond the arc, like Dylan Brooks. Grayson Allen is having a great year, shooting 40-plus percent from three beyond the arc. But there's one player who has not gotten with the Grizzlies on that curve, and it showed up especially all the more here recently, and that's their best player to face the franchise, and that's Ja Morant. And I wrote a piece about this this morning about how Ja has managed to be impactful even though his jump shot is non-existent. So get this. Right now, he's averaging 3.3 attempts from three per game, and he's shooting 20% from three. There's no player in NBA history who's ever shot that poorly on that many attempts over the course of an entire season before. Now, I don't think he will. Like, a blind squirrel is going to find an acorn eventually. He's going to have a hot shooting night at some point that will hopefully bring those numbers up. But I do think – even though I wrote a whole piece talking about how impactful he is, how defenses are still struggling to contain him and defend him in spite of his shooting struggles, I do think it's the swing skill that's going to keep it, that's either going to make him an occasional all-star or a perennial MVP candidate. How much concern do you have about that area of his game? I don't know if it's a concern per se, but it's interesting to watch because through the preseason and even the first couple games before he got hurt, John Morant looked like an improved three-point shooter. Mm -hmm. We were like, okay, he's made the leap. And then post-injury, it's just like it's falling off a cliff. Like last year he was a 33%, almost 34% three-point shooter. And then like you said, now he's shooting almost 21%. That's not good. Like that's going backwards. Yeah, we, we, were going, we were going forward and then something happened. I don't know what it is. I think eventually it'll get back to the main, but it's it's tough right now, and it's I hate to see that because people are gotten gotten to the point where they're just going on the screens, and if he takes a three, they'll live with it. And he's too good of a player to get that type of treatment, especially when he's shown that he can sh shoot and make threes, especially if you leave him open. But right now they're just not falling. Yeah. 
It, I think what makes it even more perplexing, and I had to do some painstaking research on this because there was no like clear filter you could do to figure this out. So there's a clear correlation between free throw percentage and three-point percentage. Generally, if you're a good or great free throw shooter, even if you're not a strong three-point shooter, like that shows like positive signs about the growth you can make as a shooter over the course of your career. Um, like there are exceptions to that. Quincy Pondexter, a former Grizzly, was a very good three-point shooter but was like a 60% foul shooter. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But typically right. guys who are great free throw shooters become good shooters over time. Ja Moran is currently shooting 81% at the foul line, or excuse me, 80% at the foul line. That, that number may have gone down after he missed a couple against Dallas the other day, but um, that was – It went down a little bit. Yeah, so he's down, he's down to 78.8 now. Yes, he's at 78.8%. That's solid. Like, that's good. That's fine for who he is as a player. Um, he's not going to continue to shoot 21% from three, like you said. No. Um, he will progress the mean. He's still not a good shooter. Like, even last year at certain points when he was shooting 40% from three, he wasn't doing it on decent volume. And as soon as he started to add volume to his game, that's when you started to see the number come down a little bit. But all the signs indicate – that he's going to progress the mean, and he's also going to show improvement. He's going to get better, not just this year, but over the course of his career as well. I don't know where he's going to end up. I think if he became just a league average shooter, as far as like accuracy and volume for a starting point guard, he's a perennial star, like every single year, if he's able to figure that area of his game out. Um, but like you said, it's interesting to watch. It's interesting to watch someone who's so supremely talented in so many areas of the game, have such a debilitating weakness, and yet it doesn't really keep him from being great in the moment. And that's a fascinating thing to watch. And I know I wrote before the season started with his like player preview, the difference is 4%. Like, if he could make a similar leap like Jaron made from his rookie year to his sophomore year, shooting threes, like, he's unstoppable. If he can get to around 36 to 37%, what are teams going to do? Like, there's no coverage for someone that can get to the rim like that. And if you leave him open for three, more than likely he's going to make it. But instead, and it looked like we were going to get that before he got hurt. Like, during the preseason, it's like, okay, he figured it out. He got with his guys during the offseason. He's figured out the proper way to shoot with that funky tight release he had his rookie year somewhat going. And then – after injury, after that injury happened in Brooklyn, it just hasn't come back. And, I mean, that's part of it to a degree. And I think it will eventually come back maybe after the All-Star break once he gets to kind of sit down and relax. But it's interesting. I'll, I'll say that much. <laughs> so, to close out, I want you to give me your one bold prediction for the Grizzlies, whether it's for the team as a whole or any specific player for the rest of the season. The rest of the season. Mm-hmm. I'm putting you on the even, Like, the play – the saying they'll make the playoffs isn't a bold prediction, I don't think, anymore. Because, I mean, for as much as people are panicking, there's still only a game out of the AP. So, does that even – does that count as a bold prediction that the Grizzlies are still going to make the playoffs? I'll give it to you because they're going to have to – they may just be a game out, but they're going to have to knock out either Golden State or San Antonio along the way to doing so while competing with Dallas and who's behind them to be able to get in there. And you have to think Dallas, like, somehow – 
figures out all the kinks, even if Porzingis is a broken shell of who he was. Luca, you have to think, is too talented to allow them to fall entirely out of the playoff race. So it's either they got to stay in front of Dallas, which I'm not even sure if they are anymore. I don't have the standings right in front of me after last night. But uh, the second place. Well, you said, okay, gotcha. Well, they're going to have to either knock out San Antonio, who I think is sitting at 16 and 11 right now, or knock out Golden State. And it's hard to bet against Steph Curry the way he's playing right now. So that is a bold prediction. I'll give it to you. They're right there. They can do it, especially once they get um, able bodied and healthy, but it will be a tough road to doing it for sure. Yeah. They're going to have to go back to playing Grizzlies basketball, which, like I wrote at the beginning of the month before the wheels fell off, doing the little things, finding open man and playing good defense. And right now they're finding an open man and not making shots, and they're just not playing good defense at all. I'll give you mine. Dylan Brooks is going to average 20 points per game in the month of March. Jaron Jackson's going to get back into the lineup. Dylan Brooks is going to find a nice little groove. It's bold. It's bold. It may not happen, but that's what I'm sticking with. He's going to come crash. He's going to progress to the mean in his shooting percentages, and he's going to play very well during that time, and then he'll come crashing back down to earth as soon as that month is over. <laughs> Justin Lewis is going to clip what you just said, and it's well, going to I, come back. I think I made, like, like the tweet just so that he could hear it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I want that for Dylan because I've seen personally how hard he works, like in the weight room and in the gym and everything. Just, and that was just his rookie year. Like I want to see him succeed, and I want to see him prove people wrong. Because 20, 20 points a night, but that's it's a bold. lot. It's bold. It's it's not a realistic one. It's a bold prediction. That's why they call it a bold prediction. <laughs> <laughs> Bryce, plug your stuff, man. Where can the people find you? Uh, on Twitter, man, find me at Next Prodigy, NXT Prodigy. I'm there, there all day, whether it's basketball, baseball, football, or the entertainment business. I got something to say, and I try to keep it grounded. I'm not going to hot take you to death. I'm just trying to give you the truth. Bryce cares far more about the truth than he does about his brand, and for that, we greatly appreciate him. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at NathanChester24, and you can find all my Grizzlies-related content at grizzlybearblues.com. Bryce, we have a very specific way to end the show, and I want to see if you know it. It's up to you, man. Oh, man, you really put me on the spot. I'm used to you and Parker doing it. I'll give you a hint. Think about how I, well, think about what Anthony Davis wore his last game before he uh, quit on the Pelicans. Oh, that's all, folks. Yeah, that's oh. all, folks. Yeah. <laughs>